I'll be reading from the 14th chapter of the book of John this morning. You'll recall back uh, before revival, actually that Sunday morning, once we started revival, uh, my thoughts went a different direction. And, uh, but this thought that was originally on my heart this morning has stayed with me and uh, wasn't able to get away from it, even though some of the things that I'll read and look at today are some things that I probably have mentioned at different times over the past month or so as uh, they remain on my heart. Uh, but I want to look to these uh, today. John chapter 14, we'll begin at verse 15. I think I've shared with you before about a famous theologian who was once asked, what is the greatest thought that you've ever had? And his students were sitting there and they were expecting a very profound answer about what he might respond with. What's the greatest thought this theologian had ever had? And his response was, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. We know that there's no greater thought or no greater reality than to be loved by Jesus. Uh, but it follows that if He first loved us, then we ought also to love Him. So begin reading with me in John 14, beginning at verse 15. This is Jesus who's teaching, and He says, If you love me, keep my commandments. Other translations, if you read the NASB 95, or the CSB, or some others, you'll see here that it says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 16, I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another Comforter, that He may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it sees Him not, neither knows Him, but you know Him. For He dwells in you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world sees me no more. But you see me, because I live, you shall live also. At that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments, and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. And I will love him, and will manifest, or make known, reveal myself to him. Judas said unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us, and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. And my Father will love him, and we will come unto him, and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keeping, excuse me, he that loveth me not keepeth not my sins, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard how I said unto you, I go away, and come again unto you. If you love me, you would rejoice, because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it come to pass that when it is come to pass, you might believe. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. And I know that was a lengthy reading this morning, but I pray that God would bless it and that it would be found useful for His people today. 
We begin in verse 15 with just a short declarative statement by Jesus. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We see that Jesus gives a test where we can identify if we love Christ. If you love Jesus, you will keep His commandments. Now, when we think about a life that is spent loving Christ, a life that is spent loving Jesus, I think what happens a lot of times is we get this idea from what we hear of others and it becomes very superficial. It's, it's given a lot of, a lot of talk and it's given a lot of expressions on t-shirts and on bumper stickers. But a life that is spent loving Jesus will be a life that is aligned with the commandments of God. If you want to reveal to the world that you love Jesus, you will do it by obeying His commandments, by following after His instructions. If you want to reveal to the world who you are in Christ Jesus, you will reveal it best when you live a life that is spent following the commandments of the Lord. There are so many people that I come in contact with that proclaim and profess to be Christians, but their lives do not support it. They do not back it up because their lives are not in agreement with the commandments of God. Now, we certainly know the commandments that we see throughout the Scriptures. We know the Ten Commandments, and we know the different instructions that Christ has given. We know when we look to the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount and the things that Jesus taught there, in which He actually kind of elevated the commandments. You remember what He taught about there in the Sermon on the Mount? About how He said that, You've heard it in times past, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But He says, I tell unto you, Thou shalt not lust. Or he said, you've heard it in times past that you should not murder, but I tell you that if anyone that looks with hate in their heart upon another has committed murder already. You remember that? You see, these are the instructions of Christ. If you love Jesus, you will keep His commandments. What does your life look like? Does your life indicate who you love? You see, I wear a ring on my left ring finger. And I talk about my wife and I do things for my wife and I support my wife that all the world might know and recognize that I love my wife. I am there for my children. I support my children. I help my children that all the world may know that I love my children. You see, there are things that we do where others will be able to recognize in us. And you'll hear them say sometimes, oh, you're a good husband, or you really love your children. And those are good things for the world to see in us. But do they look at us and say, you love Jesus? Can you pass that test? You might say, well, Derek, of course I love Jesus. Are you keeping His commandments? Are you keeping His commandments? Jesus continues, and He just makes that declarative statement. So we're just going to let that stand for itself today. If you love Jesus, you will keep His commandments. But He goes on, He starts talking about the Spirit. And this is what I have mentioned several times here in the last several weeks, and I think it's, it's appropriate for us to spend some time on this this morning to look at this relationship that we have with the Holy Spirit. He says, I will pray the Father, verse 16, and He shall give you another comforter that you may abide, that He may abide with you forever. So we have this Spirit that has been given to us that we might have God with us even now. 
You see, Jesus Christ, he, he was here and He was present in the flesh for some 33 years. We see His ministry and the work that He did. And the people had God in the flesh with them. And He had discipled these 12 disciples. And they had learned after Him and followed after Him. They had left all behind to follow after this man, Jesus. And now He is telling them that He's going to be going away. He's telling them that it's a, later on in the book of John, He says, it's, it's to your advantage that I go away. It's for your benefit that I would go away. And now the people that he's talking to, these disciples are hearing these things, they're saying, Jesus, we have left all behind to follow you, and now you're telling us that you're going to go away. And not only so, you're also saying it's to our benefit that you go away. What does that mean? And so he's saying, I'm going to send a comforter for you. And he tells us later on in the passage that we read who that comforter is. He said it was the Holy Ghost. I want to tell you something about the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God is God Himself. It is the third person of the Godhead, or the third person of the Trinity. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. And so when we talk about the Holy Spirit, I want you to be careful about how you reverence Him and about how you talk about Him, because when you're talking about Him, you're talking about God. And we are right to say Him and right to say He when we're talking about the Holy Spirit because it is a Him, it is a He, it is is the Holy Spirit of God. It's the third person of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit is not just some energy or some mystic idea that we come and we have a feeling. But the Holy Spirit is God Himself who comes upon the scene and He influences us and He moves us. And yes, we feel that, but He influences our thoughts and He moves us in ways that we can deepen our understanding and knowledge of who He is. And He directs us and He leads us. My friends today, I want you to know, following after the Holy Spirit of God then is more than a feeling. It's not less than a feeling, but it's more than a feeling. I heard a preacher one time, he got all upset when people said that, would say that God told them something or God spoke to them. And I understand why he got upset. His, what he was saying was that, you know, well, God doesn't speak to anybody anymore. The scriptures are closed and, you know, God no longer comes with an audible voice and speaks to anybody. And, and I think all that's true. But when I say that God has spoke to me or God has told me something, what I mean is the Holy Spirit has came upon me and it's influenced me in the direction of the Holy Spirit that God Himself desires for me to go. That's what I mean by that. I think that's what you mean by that. I've heard some of you say that. That we believe that we have a relationship with God and that He abides with us and is in the Holy Spirit, that's what Jesus is talking about here. We can break some of this down scripturally here in just a second, but I'm trying to give you the, the digest of this, that we have God in us, living with us, abiding in us, through the form of the Holy Spirit. That is this comforter. So he goes on, he, he says more, he says, I will not leave you comfortless. But he tells us a little bit about who this Spirit is. He calls it the Spirit of Truth. Let me say this, and let me say this very carefully. If you ever have a direction that you think is the Holy Spirit leading you to do something, but it goes contrary to the Scriptures, you are mistaken. The Holy Spirit of God will always be in agreement with the Word of God. 
They will never be at odds with each other. They will never be contrary to each other. But they will always be in agreement. I've heard people stand up and they'll say, well, you know, God told me to do this. And I'll look at them and say, no, he didn't. And he'll say, well, how, how do you know that he didn't? Because, because God's never said that before. You're in disalignment with his scriptures. You're outside the character of who he is. And I think that God himself recognizes, God himself recognized this because later on in the scriptures, we are told that we would be able to try the spirits, to be a discerner of the spirits, that there would be an indication that there are false spirits that come upon us and can influence us. And so we as Christians need to be intimately familiar with the real thing. That when the Spirit of truth comes to us and directs us, we know for certain who we're talking about. We know for certain that we have been given this direction by the authority of God and not by a false spirit. We must be discerners, those who would understand and recognize the real thing. There are all sorts of counterfeits in the world. But there is only one who is the Spirit of truth. Brother Corey taught me something back when he was first a teller at a bank. And he was telling me about the trainings that he would have to do to be able to recognize and spot counterfeit bills. You know what they didn't do? They didn't give to them all the different counterfeit bills that had ever been made and help them to be able to identify those. Why? Because there's always a new counterfeit out there, isn't there? Every counterfeit's just going to be a little bit different. But you know what they did instead? They trained him to be intimately familiar with the real thing. That he would not know what a dollar bill feels like, what it smells like, the texture of it, what it, uh, the picture of it, the grains of it. He could understand it so intimately that when he got anything less than a real dollar, he would know it. And we must be discerners of that ilk discerners of that type, that we spend so much time with the Holy Spirit of God that when a fake comes along, we can spot it a mile away. I am thankful for the good godly people that I've been able to model and follow after in life, those mentors that Sister Malia was talking about in Sunday school. Because what I've noticed about them is they would just be able to call it out without even hardly hearing or seeing anything about it. They would say, be careful of that. Be watchful of that. We must be good discerners of the Spirit of truth. And the way that we can do that is by spending time and becoming intimately familiar with this Spirit of truth. Jesus says something else about this Spirit of truth. He says, "...whom the world cannot receive, because it sees Him not, neither knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and shall be in you." Let me say this about the Holy Spirit and its relationship with God's people. We saw this test that was given earlier of if you love Jesus, you'll keep His commandments. But we see then another test that is given right here after this about those who are really saved. If you have truly been born again, then you have the Holy Spirit abiding in you. This is the witness of God that we've been born again, that the Holy Spirit dwells in our hearts. The book of Romans teaches us this. It says that the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. And if children and heirs, join heirs with Christ Jesus. We are God's children. You see, sometimes that scripture gets taken out of context. It means something that doesn't. But what it means is that how 
do you know that you are saved? Well, you oftentimes will term that and we'll say, well, we just know. But how do you just know? It's because the Spirit bears witness that we're one of His. It floods us with the joy and the peace and the love of God that is wholly aligned with the character of God and the Holy Spirit. I don't want to get too far into this because if we try to get into a lesson about the Trinity this morning, we'll be here all day. But I want you to understand something about God. And in a second, I'll talk about God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Ghost. But talk about the triune God is that all of His character, that immutability we talked about earlier, about how He doesn't change, about His love, about uh, his, his omniscience, His omnipotence, and His omnipresence, all those things that we talk about, when we talk about who God is, when we talk about His veracity, all those things we identify as the character of God, they are present in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not somehow lacking in those, though He is not God. He is holy and completely God. And His character is consistent with the triune God. And so as a result of that, the Spirit is not going to tell you one thing today and something that's completely contrary to that tomorrow. The Holy Spirit is the same yesterday, today, and forever, just like God the Father and just like God the Son. And so if we see these things, we recognize that in Him, then what we'll know is that it is an identifying hallmark of the child of God, that the Holy Spirit dwells in them. How do I know that I am saved? But that the Holy Spirit serves as the witness of God. In another place in the Scriptures, I want to say it's over in the book of Galatians, but I could be mistaken about that. But in one place in the Scriptures, it teaches us that the Holy Spirit has been given to us as an earnest of our inheritance. You know what the word earnest means? It's a type of down payment. It shows that there's going to be a payment on which you make good later on down the road. The Holy Spirit is given to us as the earnest of our inheritance. It is the down payment of heaven in that way. Isn't that cool? God says, you're going to live with me forever, but not not only that, you're going to live with me right now because I dwell within you. That's just awesome. How deep the Father's love with us, love for us, that He would abide in the hearts of man. That's rich, awesome stuff that God dwells with His people. We've not been left comfortless. It says, in the day you shall know that I am my Father and you and me, and I in you. Jesus is saying, this will be a witness to you. And he says, he that keeps my commandments and keepeth them, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that love me. And he that loveth me shall be loved by the Father, and I will love him and will reveal or manifest myself to him. Now, there are some of you who you've gone through periods of your life where you feel cold and indifferent towards things of the Lord, right? We all go through those seasons of life where we feel distance and I'll hear some of you say, you know, Derek, I'll go to the Lord in prayer and it just, it just feels like my prayer can't even get off the ground. I can't get it above the ceiling. You're feeling cold and, and, and cast down in, in spirit. And I want you to know that we go through those seasons, we have those difficulties, and what we're craving in those moments is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. We're craving that God would reveal Himself to us again. That we'd feel His presence with us anew. That it would wash over us again. That we'd be revived in spirit as a result of the Holy Spirit manifesting and revealing Himself to us. 
Let me give you some advice, my friend. If you find yourself in that condition today where you're feeling cold or indifferent or far away from the Lord, make your way to God in prayer. And I don't mean that you just go through a systematic prayer like you always do. I mean you get down to business with God and you seek after Him, determined that you will not let up until you find Him. Until He reveals Himself to you again. A couple weeks ago, Brother Micah preached here on Sunday night and he preached about going into your closet and shutting the door. And I love the imagery of shutting the door behind you that you are there for a purpose when you come to God in prayer. I'll tell you what I do in those moments. I find my way to this church when no one else is here and I fall on my face before God and I don't stop until His Spirit has washed over me. Until I have found that manifestation renewed once again. My friends, you don't have to be cold and indifferent when it comes to feeling the Spirit of God. I think sometimes we're like, well, maybe this Sunday will be the Sunday that that I feel something. Maybe this Sunday will be the day that that I'm no longer ice cold when it comes to the Lord. Listen, if if you're just waiting for, for God to happen to you, I think you're misunderstanding the occasion that you have in prayer where you can come to God. You, individually, can come to the Lord and He will be there every time waiting for you. Now, Judas, he he was having a hard time understanding this because Jesus said that He's going to reveal Himself. He's going to reveal Himself by the Holy Spirit. And, and, and Judas, the disciples, as they were tend to do, they're, they're hearing these things. They're thinking about them in a, a carnal mind. And so they hear, Jesus, how are you going to reveal Yourself but only to the saved and not to the rest of the world? I mean, Jesus, if You come back, if, if You show up, everybody's going to see You. So what do You mean that only those that, that are saved, only those that are Yours are going to be able to see You? He says, Lord, how is it that that will manifest Thyself unto us and not unto the world? And Jesus answered, He said, If a man love me, he will keep my words, my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with Him. This is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God in the hearts of men. He says, He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which he hears is not mine, but the Father, excuse me, and the word which you, you hear is not mine, but the Father is that sent me. He says, These things I have spoken unto you, being yet present with you. Jesus says, I am teaching you these things now, that when I go away, you will recognize that the Holy Spirit of God, it is me and God the Father who desire to make our abode with you. You see, this is an indwelling. What's the difference in an indwelling versus a, a, a physical dwelling? Ezra is going to be born here within the next couple of weeks, Sister Brylin hopes. <laughs> and when he gets here, we're all going to know him. Right now, I haven't met him yet. You haven't met him yet. God knows him. We haven't met him yet though. But when he comes, we're all going to know he's here. He's going to be physically revealed to us. He's going to be present with us. The Holy Spirit indwells us. It is not a physical manifestation, but it is a spiritual one. I hope I'm making sense and trying to give you the contrast in this difference. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 26. He says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and shall bring all things to your remembrance, 
whatsoever I have said unto you. I talked already about how the Holy Spirit is always in alignment with the Scriptures, fully in alignment with God the Son and God the Father. But I want you to see something else about the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is a teacher. It is here to guide us and instruct us and teach us. Let me tell you something about how you should study the Scriptures. If you are studying the Scriptures without prayer, your understanding is only going to be one as, tries to, as one who tries to search after head knowledge rather than understanding the deep revelations of God. Scripture is meant to be studied with prayer. Because when you begin to pray over the Scriptures that you're reading, and you're asking the Holy Spirit to teach you and to guide you and instruct you, suddenly these things that seem so complex to us who are mere mortals, the Holy Spirit of God will reveal to us and give us understanding and instruction and teaching about what God has said. And I'm so glad it's that way. I can't tell you how many times I'll wrestle with a scripture and I'll read it and I'll put it away and I'll come back to it a month later thinking, well, maybe I'll, I'll have some time and, and can think about it more and I'll come back to it and I'll still just be as confused about it as ever. And then I'll get serious with God and say, God, would you please just show me here what it is I'm missing? And then suddenly I'll read it and it's just that light bulb that goes off. I got it. Not because I've suddenly had better understanding because the Holy Spirit is our teacher. But our Holy Spirit is not just our teacher when it comes to our private studies. But our Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit teaches us throughout all the days of our lives. How does it do that? My children came out of the womb speaking lies, just like yours did. I like to talk to Gary Allen about this. He'll always kind of laugh whenever there's a baby crying. He'll say, they'll change that baby's diaper. They'll feed that baby. They'll burp that baby. That baby will sit there and just still crying. And he'll say, you know why that is? Because it's a liar. <laughs> I'm going to trust him on that. But children come out of the womb speaking lies. I didn't have to teach my children to lie. And neither did you. But when they're instructed that lying is wrong, what happens? Do they have to be caught in a lie for them to have that revealed to them? Or instead, is it that their conscience becomes awakened to realities that they're doing wrong? In like manner, but in a deeper manner, the Holy Spirit comes and it influences us that we're able to discern those things that are right and those things that are wrong by the teaching of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you're looking at it and you just can, can feel that something's not right. You're in a conversation. There's just something that's not quite adding up here in this conversation. And some people call that an intuition or, or an ability to interpret things or those sorts of things. For the Christian, if we're abiding in the Holy Spirit, we're relying upon Him to teach us, He will come and reveal those things to us. He'll teach us and walk hand in hand with us through this world. He'll help us be circumspect in the things that we're doing and teaching and instructing us about all the affairs of life. I can't tell you how many things I come to in life where I can just I sit and I'll be like, that's not right. And I'll be like, I need to go do some research on this and do some studying on this. But I promise you this isn't consistent with Scripture. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is able to reveal those things to us and teach us. 
And when I come back, I'll find indeed that that Holy Spirit that's always in alignment with the Scriptures will be found true every single time. Alright, let's, let's try to close this out. Verse 27 says, Peace I leave unto you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, I give I unto you. Then he says, Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now, I want you to put yourself in a situation or in the shoes of these disciples. They have left all behind. They have been following Jesus these past three years or three years plus. And now Jesus is saying, I'm going away and it's to your advantage that I do so. I'd be a little frightened, wouldn't you? I'd be a little worried and concerned about the things that I was being told. Why? Jesus, we have left all behind to follow you. And now you're telling us that you're going to be going away. And so they were troubled in spirit. They were troubled in their hearts. They had a fear. And Jesus certainly recognized that fear. And He said, I'm leaving you with peace. He says, I am leaving you with a peace not that the world gives, but a peace that I alone can give to you. And He said, so then, don't let your heart be troubled, neither be dismayed. Don't be afraid that I am going. Let not your heart be worried and overly burdened and concerned that I have gone away. And He would tell us, if I go away, it's to your advantage because I'm going to prepare a place for you. He says, but I'm not going to leave you without peace. I'm not going to leave you without a comforter. I'm not going to leave you without a teacher. I'm not going to leave you without one who can reveal truth to you. He said, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. This third part of the Godhead that the Father, that the Son, that the whole character of God would dwell in us. He says, and now I have told you before it come to pass that when it has come to pass, you might believe. One of my favorite things every now and then, I'll just allow my mind to wonder about the, the day and age of the early church, is what it must have been like on the day of Pentecost. Jesus had ascended unto the Father approximately a week before the day of Pentecost. And the disciples and all those people had been up in the upper room all week. And they were, were worried. They were troubled. They had followed this man, Jesus. He had came and had revealed Himself to Him over some 40 days after He was resurrected from the grave. And they had these wondrous moments with Jesus. They ate with Him during that time. They had all these things that took place during those 40 days. But now He's ascended unto the right hand of God the Father. And they're under threat. They're under threat of persecution because they're following Him. And remember, Jesus was just put to death because of His miracles, because of who He is. And so these disciples are holed up in this upper room in Jerusalem for a week. I can't imagine the conversations, the worry on their hearts, the concerns of their minds. But then, the sound of a mighty rushing wind and the comforter that was promised It came and it filled the room and it filled the hearts of the disciples and it continues to fill the hearts of His disciples today. We've not been left comfortless, but we have God with us even now, even right now. God is dwelling with His people. He said, Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. He's saying, I don't have much longer here. He says, But that the world may know that I love the Father, and even as the Father gave me commandment, even so do I. Ultimately, He is saying that I am in agreement with the Father, and the Holy Spirit is in agreement with me and the Father. And so we've not been left without a comforter. Later on in the book of John, we'll try to close here. We see Jesus and the disciples were out 
fishing and Jesus had been crucified. And so Peter's like, I'm just going to go do what I always did before. I'm, I'm going back on the boat. And so he goes back out fishing and he's just having a heck of a time catching anything. And Jesus is standing on the, on the banks and he's standing on the shore there and he tells him to cast on the other side and he pulls up a boat full of fish. And they realize it's Jesus and one, one jumps in and goes swimming after him. Well, they get up onto the banks. And Jesus already had fish ready, prepared for them. They've been out all night fishing, catch all the fish and Jesus had fish already. I love that picture of Jesus, don't you? And so we see then Jesus, he strikes up a dialogue with Peter. Remember, Peter was the one who denied Jesus three times there on the night that Christ was first brought underneath the judgment and uh, then scourged and, and ultimately crucified for our sins. But as he had denied Jesus three times, Jesus still knew the heart of Peter and how Peter must have been just, just had all these feelings and thoughts that were going through him. He's, he, Jesus is now with them. He's there with them in the flesh. And he, Peter can't help but remember how he had denied him all those times. Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, of course I love you. Jesus says, feed my lambs. Jesus asks again, he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, of course, Jesus, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Jesus asked a third time, he said, Peter, do you love me? Peter, by this time, certainly is getting a little frustrated that Jesus kept asking this question. And he said, you know, Jesus, that I love you. And Jesus repeated to him for a third time, said, feed my sheep. Listen to me today. Loving Jesus is not like you love a rock band or a TV show or something that you're a fan of. Jesus did not come and die on the cross to gain fans. You say you love Jesus. It will not be because you're a fan of Jesus, but it will be because you show it and you reveal it because you have committed your life to Him. I want you to think about the things that you'll commit to a TV show you like or to a, a, a band that you like or to whatever else you're a fan of in the world, a sports team. You commit things to them, don't you? You commit your time to watching their programs or to listening to their songs. You commit your money. Maybe you'll go to a concert or you'll buy a TV show. Brother Nick's not here, but I know he likes that show, The Office. And he has t-shirts he wears that have The Office on them. Listen, I'm, I'm not here to say those things are bad. I'm here to make a contrast against our love for Jesus is not to be a fan of who He is, but it is to commit our lives to Him. And we do that by keeping His commandments and by submitting ourselves to the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. I'll close with this. 1 John 4, verse 10 says, Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Paul told the Galatians, he said, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. I already read from the book of Romans. Let me close just reading three verses here in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8, verse 5 says, For they that are... Uh, let me go back to verse 4. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. Those who are carnal will be worried about carnal things. But they that are after the Spirit, they mind and concern themselves with the things that are of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. I pray that God would help us all 
to love Him deeper, to love Him more surely, and to reveal that, not just by what we say, but by following His commandments and submitting ourselves to the Holy Spirit. Something on your heart today. Someone wants you to say or do.